0: Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and SuperSpeed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro.
1: everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Next on the T, and happy U.S. Open week to you. Doesn't it feel better when it's the week of a major? There's always a little more anticipation in the air. We're certainly going to talk a lot about the tournament tonight,
0: and I think there's a little more buzz
1: with this year's tournament than maybe we've seen over the last decade or so. We've got Brooks Kepka trying to three-peat, something we haven't seen since Curtis Strange won back-to-back U.S. Opens in 1988 and 89. Tiger's got everyone hopeful that he can win a second major this year. Will we get to see Tiger, the the Tiger we saw at Augusta National, or are we going to see the Tiger that we saw at the PGA? He was pretty unspectacular at the Memorial a couple weeks ago outside of the final round, but we all know his history at Pebble Beach and how he lapped the field in 2000. Boy, a final pairing if he and Brooks kept on Sunday. Wouldn't that be fun to watch to see those two guys battle down the stretch? We got Dustin Johnson, right? He's always around the top of the leaderboard in the U.S. Open. He finished tied for second in 2018 at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, third at the U.S. Open. He finished tied for second at the Masters and alone in second at the PGA this year. So we can expect to see his name at the top of the leaderboard on Sunday. What about Jordan Spieth? Is he going to be able to put four rounds together? You know, boy, we sure haven't seen that in a little while, right? But earlier this year at the Pebble Beach Pro he Shot, opening rounds of 66 and 68 before struggling over the weekend. But he's got three straight top tens, folks, and a tied for third at the PGA. So maybe he'll continue that. Maybe he'll be back. This seems like a course that could be good for him because length is not going to be as much of an issue. And speaking of the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, Phil Mickelson won it earlier this year and finished tied for second last year, second again in 2016. So this could be his last best chance to complete the career Grand Slam. So yeah, an exciting weekend ahead. And speaking of what's ahead, tonight I've got an all-star lineup that I am very excited to share with you. My first guest is going to be the voice of golf, Peter Kessler. You all know how much Peter has meant to me over the years. And for those of you who follow me on social media? You saw that over the weekend, I made a request about following and subscribing to the show on a new podcasting site called Launchpad DM. It's a site that podcast one uses to perhaps, you know, take a look at some new shows and what they might want to put out on the air. So folks, if you don't mind, please go over to launchpaddm.com and subscribe to the show. We'd really, really appreciate if you do that for us. Anyway, the first person to reach out to me and say, Hey, anything you need, let me know was Peter Kessler. That's who Peter Kessler is. And beyond that, nobody knows the history of the game of golf better than Peter does. So we'll talk about some of the great interviews he's done around the U.S. Open with players like Payne Stewart, Curtis Strange, and Jack Nicklaus as well. And uh, it is really always an honor and a privilege when Peter joins me on the show, and I'm really looking forward to catching up with him in just a few minutes. Following Peter, I'm going to get a return visit from one of the top instructors in the game and another great friend, and that's Rob Strano had the privilege of spending some time with Rob when I was in Destin, Florida earlier this year. You know what? He took one look at my swing and said, you know what? I can help you improve. And it's you just got to change one thing. And I was like, hey, great. What? He said everything. So we'll talk about that plus some putting tips as well. Rob will join me at the bottom of the hour. Following Rob, Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor Tom Patrick is going to be back with me. I'll talk to TP about Pebble Beach gets some tips for how to play better in windy conditions like the guys are likely to face this weekend. We'll also get some tips on how to improve your short game, particularly, as Gary Player always says, how to turn three strokes into two from 100 yards in. Tom will join me about 45 minutes from now. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with a visit from Chris Finn. Chris is the founder of Par4Success, and that's a number four, so P-A-R, the number four success. They work on improving strength and conditioning, right? That's what their big thing is. So they can help us figure out a way to get a little looser, build up a little strength, get a little more distance and yardage when we're out playing on the golf course. Because when you're a little looser, you can swing a little faster, hit the ball a little further. They're located up in Cary, North Carolina. I'll talk with Chris about how to assess all of those things. He's got some great exercises and some great ways to get through that. So we'll talk all about that plus data to prove what exercises you need to get the most out of your game. So there's some exercises that are going to go along with some numbers that are going to point right to where our issues are. So we'll talk about that a whole lot more when Chris joins me about an hour from now. So there you go, folks. We've got a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Team. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, you know I always like to remind you about my good friends Mitchell and Matthew Lawrence. They've got a couple of great podcasts that, uh, and a great radio show that you need to be listening to. Mitchell's show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and he and his co-host Aaron Bunch they let you know about great places to stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're there. You can stream their podcast over on Golf Trip X, and that's a letter X, so GolfTripX.com. Also available on Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. They're going to let you know about some of the great hidden gems that we have around the country. This twin brother, Matthew, also a great show. It's called Backspin Golf. It airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time on WLXD ESPN Radio, AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. And that show, geez, it's so much fun listening to Matthew and our good friend Perry French as well, you know, talking about golf and great, great places or great ways to improve your game. Perry's got a lot of great instruction that he shares and Matthew's got a lot of great interviews. Always so much fun because Matthew makes the show so much fun. Again, it's called Backspin Golf and it's on WLXG.com or download the WLXG app and you can listen Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern time. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear from Steve Rondonero about what they've got going on up there this summer.
0: It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20, 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens. And, and you can see it in 360 degree. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambiance around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com.
1: Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to book your stay and to see what a wonderful place they've got up there as well. And oh, by the way, folks, they got a casino right there on the property as well. Now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line, as you all know, is one of my all-time favorite guests, and that's the voice of golf, Peter Kessler. Be sure to follow Peter on his Facebook page and over on Twitter, at Peter Kessler. Over the last couple of weeks, he's been putting out snippets of the great interviews he's done with former U.S. Open champions. So there's so many of them. They're all fantastic. Sort of a run-up to the U.S. Open. Go on his Twitter page and check those out. And just like everything Peter does, those interviews are very insightful and really take you into the mindset that those players had and you get stories you didn't hear anywhere else than on Peter's Golf Talk live show back when he was on the Golf Channel. And that show by far is the best golf program ever. Also, be sure to check out Peter's website, PeterKessler.com and book him for an event. Listen to some of his archive episodes of his podcast, which was called Reading the Break, which was also fantastic. We've got some links back to that over on our site next on tee.net and like I always say, no one knows the history of the game of golf better than Peter does. And it's always an honor and a privilege to have him as part of the show. And I'm very excited he's back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Peter. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm not fooled by any of this. I know exactly what's going on here. So you get four stud muffins to be on the show. So you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Guess who's the lead horse? <laughs> Guess who gets to go first? <laughs> Guess who has to carry the load? I heard you go through all the subjects you're going to cover with the other three guys. I crossed off nine of the ten on my list. You left basically nothing. So I'm going, sure, he's going to just put me on the spot and make me come up with something, you know, completely off the list, off the charts that he didn't think of. And I've already got one, which is setup. And I want to talk to you about setup because my philosophy has actually come full circle on this, you know. When I was growing up, you know, when I was, say, in my 20s, you know, and they had the Wingfoot Massacre in 1974 where seven over by Hale Irwin won and the year before Johnny Miller had toured Oakmont in the final round with nine birdies and an eight-under par final round to win the championship. So they made it a little harder, obviously, in 74. But the way they did that was they just made – Really long rough, and they made the greens hard, and they made the greens fast, and the weather cooperated, and you just had to put the ball in play, whatever that took. You know, Jack Nicklaus and Ben Hogan always said the most important thing is to be in position off the tee, and it doesn't matter what club you hit. You know, just because you're on a tee 14 times that isn't a par three doesn't mean it's a driver. And in a lot of U.S. Opens and major championships, Nicholas three-wooded his way around all of those places because he could hit it almost as far as his driver. He could certainly hit it straighter, and he could position it in sections of the fairway. So that was really the test, you know, right through. 2004 at Shinnecock when they lost the golf course so then they had a shift in management and then unfortunately they made a shift by people who didn't have enough knowledge to do so in the philosophy of how a U.S. Open golf course should be set up so it started in 2005 at Pinehurst wasn't a lot a little bit and we got into graduated rough so that if you were just off the fairway, not too bad, a little further it was worse, a little farther it was for horrid. That didn't seem to work. Conceptually, it didn't seem like a bad idea. And so what happened is they had this series of experiments where we've gone to an An eclectic group of golf courses, including Erin Hills and Chambers Bay and places that hadn't held the U.S. Opens before Chambers Bay was granted the U.S. Open before it was even a golf course. So that was that was pretty stunning. So you've had an unusual group of places that you've gone and then an untraditional series of setups. Think back to Martin Keimer winning at Pinehurst after Coor and Crenshaw came in and redid the golf course. So there was no rough off of the fairways. It was just, you know, scrubland, but totally playable, be playable by a 15 handicapper. And unfortunately for the audience, he won by a zillion shots. And the whole thing was extremely boring. And nobody was required to hit a pitching club around the greens. Martin Keimer had the chipping ifs at that time in his career. People don't know that but he never had to loft a shot around the greens. He putted everything. You go back and look, he putted everything. So what, what I thought was, okay, what should we do now? Okay. Now that we're here, what needs to happen now? And I finally realized that what needs to happen now is you need to go back to traditional U S open setups. The master's, is unique for a number of reasons. One, it's played on the same golf course every year Two, everybody who watch it knows it knows it as well as they know their home golf course three, you know, we expect stuff on the back nine on Sundays and they've been good about that the last few years letting the fireworks occur, letting guys make birdie on 13 and 15 and 16, like Tiger did in the final round when he won. So it's always had a unique identity. And if you look at the open championship, you know, generally that's dictated by the weather. Basically, you know, if you and I play there on Sunday, on Wednesday, on Sunday, you know, Monday, the guys come in, they don't really do anything different. They play the tees a little bit further back, but they can't speed up the greens because if the wind comes up, the ball's going to roll. The greens are, three and four times larger than the ones at Pebble Beach this week. So the green speeds are such that you have to push the ball to the hole. You can't roll and let the ball die to the hole at the old course. So weather dictates the Open Championship. PGA has had a more PGA Tour-like identity. Let the guys score, try to pick a good golf course. Now we're picking some U.S. Open courses, but I think their identity is a little bit muddy still at this point. But the U.S. Open had a clear-cut identity. It was ribbon fairways, it was long rough, it was fast, hard greens, no chipping areas, and figure out a way to put the ball in play. And so I'm hoping that's what we have this week because given that the golf course is short enough that a Francesco Molinari could win where he couldn't have won at Beth Page or couldn't have won at Shinnecock for a variety of reasons, including unregulated equipment and a golf course that was so long that only a couple of guys could play it both last year and this. The same two guys finished first and second in the U.S. Open last year as they did this year because they were the two longest hitters, Brooks and D.J., and they could hit the ball 30 yards by everybody else and hit shorter, higher irons in, and, of course, they're going to finish one, too, so... I would like to see Pebble go back to that setup. Now, in June in Pebble Beach, you really can't count on that. kind. Of, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, weather is always the biggest factor in any golf tournament, you know, because it's the one thing you can't control, and it's the one thing you need to be prepared for in the best way that you possibly can for everything that can happen from wind to rain to whatever. So because Pebble's short, because the longest hitters are going to just nudge stuff into play where where it's appropriate and prudent to do so, anybody can win. So it ought to be a put the ball in play course this week. Long rep would be appropriate. The greens are not going to be hard. I, I, you, any, you know, I, I have watched the weather. I haven't looked at anything on TV about the golf course. But, you know, I, I, I lived there for a couple of years when I was much younger, and I know what the June weather is like. And I'm guessing the greens could be softish. and the the element that needs to occur is a little bit of wind. Now, the wind will make the greens play half their size, and they're already the smallest set of greens really anywhere. They're 3,500 square feet on average. The tour average is 7,500 square feet. Of course, St. Andrews is 10,000-plus square feet because most of the holes are are double green. So I think a really good test would be a traditional U.S. Open setup, you let the super who has for the last 3,650 days maintain that golf course every day since the last time the USGA was there. You let him make the decisions. I believe they have made an agreement to let the super dictate what's going on this week. I don't think they're going to have corporate guys from the USGA make decisions about a golf course that they haven't been to in 10 years, and this guy lives there and the guys from the USG aren't trained in this kind of work. They're just corporate guys that show up in blazers. You know, they don't, you don't know, show up in blazers to work in the dirt. So I'm hoping for a traditional setup when I come back round to that's what the open needs to be again. Put the damn thing in play, figure out a way to put it on the green, shoot putt, get out of town. If the, If the course yields to brilliance because the weather cooperates, then so be it. Two under a day is a fine score to have. if Because if the weather's perfect and they can't shoot under par, one or two under the winner each day on average for the week, four under, six under, eight under, then the golf course is tricked up. But if, they, if, the, if the course will yield to the brilliance of the best player for the week, then a one or two under a day is a reasonable score to have this week at the U.S. Open.
1: So, Peter, to take that to the next step, right, one of the things that you talked about and is spot on, of course, is Brooks and DJ finishing one to the last couple of years. And you talked to uh Jack Nicholas once upon a time about Pebble Beach. And one of the things that he talked about is, look, if the weather's benign and the forecast for this week is partly cloudy, high 65, winds about 10 to 12 miles an hour, not terrible. So the course can be gettable. 65 or 66, I think he said to you, you know, is a is an easy, quote unquote, score when Pebble is playing, you know, in benign conditions. So if that's the case and if they grow the rough up, which is what we've heard is the rough is going to be high. How many guys does that bring back into the tournament? It doesn't seem like at 7000, just under 7100 yards. And, you know, I say this tongue in cheek, not that far to what we've seen. Augusta National grow the uh, grow the length of the course too certainly not what we saw at Bethpage Black so I think that brings more players into the game do you think this is going to be if the weather conditions are benign a course that is gettable and that is going to bring a lot more players back into the tournament
2: I would say Jack's memory on that is not accurate because you know you go back to '72 I think he was a couple over for the week and His final round, 74, was the best round of the day in 72. When Watson won in 82, I think he was five or six under and Jack was two back. So that's not six under a day. There are certain times when it is gettable. Remember that Tiger was the only guy under par in 2000 for a whole host of reasons, one of which is he's one of the most magical players that ever lived. But he was the only guy under par, you know, and it was a traditional U.S. Open setup. So, Jack is right in that you can get a 66, but you can't get a whole bunch of them. And because the greens play small, 10 to 12 miles an hour in the wind is a one-club wind. It's just enough to cut the effective size of the greens down by 1,000 square feet. So now you're 25, 2,700 square feet. Those are small hitting surfaces. And so you're going to be tempted to put the ball a little closer to the green off the tee so you have less in because the surfaces are playing smaller. But you can't really do that because you can't forget that the only thing that's really important to stand on the D- tee is being in position to have the next easiest shot that you can possibly have. And that means not swinging as hard as you can with the driver. They're not going to need – even 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 the the medium hitters aren't going to need driver a lot. So it's the first time in a while – that I can think of a long time that a Corey Pavin type player almost could win, who won at Shinnecock 95 and Greg Norman was second. And, you know, and that was a really tough golf course. I was there all week. Bill Mickelson had a chance. He doubled 16 the last day. I think he doubled it once before as well. And, and so, you know, Corey Pavin now hit driver five iron, uh, five wood into 18. I was standing right there and watched the shot. I actually missed the four or five footer. People forget that, but he didn't actually need it. You know, and Greg had nothing in. He could have thrown the ball underhand and onto the green. So, you know, that was a keep it and play thing. But Corey Pavin was so good with his longer clubs that he was able to be more than competitive because he ended up being the winner. Now, I'm not so sure that's true now because of the way the equipment has affected the game because... You know, from 1995 till today, the ball goes 45 or 47 yards longer off of the tee for the average player, for the average player. You think of this. Phil Mickelson at almost 50 is almost 50 yards longer than he was at almost 30. Now, this is not the week to do bombs and all that crazy Phil top. Got to remember, Phil won there this year, but it's a different golf course early in the year than it is in June. He's won there five times, so it's not exactly, you know, be any surprises to him, but he knows he's going to have to keep it in play. And he knows that they're going to take certain holes and create sections of the fairway that then become rough. Take the first third of the right side of 11, you could turn that into the rough, or the first third of the left side of 11, so that the thing plays much, you know, much more narrow than it would traditionally so you know they can narrow that place up and that would have already been done by now and the players already know what what it is and they know what clubs they're going to hit and there's no surprises and they've all played the golf course it's okay so it's different earlier in the year but so pebble beach probably needs to play a golf course one time he's going okay i got this not the local knowledge something at Augusta over the years, you might pick up a shot occasionally because you know something, but they're all, they all get it. They're not stupid. They're not going to hit the wrong shot. How many times do you hit the wrong club? I never hit the wrong club. I may miss hit, mis- hit it. I may not hit the shot I want, but do I pick the right club? Yeah. So why does it take them so long to pick the right club? takes me two seconds, and I'm going to shoot 78. should take them two seconds to shoot 68. And so I am hoping that narrow fairways, don't cause Bryson to be picked up by an ambulance and taken to the third floor at Bellevue for observation (laughs) with, with Jordan Jordan and the ambulance right behind him saying we did this and we did that. It wasn't we, you did it. Jack Nick was never said we, he played. Caddy didn't play, he played. It's just we stuff.
1: (laughs) Peter, I want to switch gears just a little bit. And um, you had a very interesting conversation with Curtis Strange a while back. And I watched that interview, and I was surprised to learn that following his back-to-back U.S. Open victories in 88 and 89, and he came close again in 1990, finished six strokes behind Hal Irwin, but he told you that following that tournament that the air sort of came out of him. What do you think he meant by that?
2: Exactly what he said, that, you know, he, Curtis had played some really good golf that, that whole decade. He had a chance to win a masters that, you know, he started with 80 in the first round and eventually made sixes on 13 and 15 and longer ended up picking up that victory instead. And, you know, Curtis was known as a a really straight ball hitter and a really good iron player. And so, you know, he he goes ahead and he he wins that open over Nick Faldo. And they both said, it was like playing myself that they both had identical games put in play at the green two putt, go to the next hole and so he won that one, and then, you know, then next year, you know, he ended up shooting a 64, I think, in the first round at Oak Hill, and there weren't no, weren't any 64s at Oak Hill to be had, and, you know, and he, went and he he won there, and then, you know, and then he realized, you know, you're not thinking at that point, oh, okay, and next year, and loop it up. It doesn't work that way. When it gets here, it gets here. But when he was at Medina... And when he was in competition over the weekend, and when he was competitive over the weekend, and he had an opportunity to win three in a row, and when it didn't happen and he got in the car, he realized the enormity of what he had tried to achieve without actively thinking about it, like Bobby Jones thinking about the Grand Slam four years before he pulled it off. Sure, he wanted to win. Sure, he wanted to have three in a row, but he wasn't placing inordinate pressure on himself where he couldn't play his game that week. It didn't work like that if you're a really good player. And so it didn't happen. And so I think at that point, it was just like the pressure is off. I may never be able to do this again. No, I'm never going to do this again. I'm not going to win two U.S. Opens in a row anymore, am I? No, I'm not. Am I Am I ever going to have a chance to win three in a row then? Well, know. Well, and so, have I reached my, my pinnacle as has the best part happened? And he sat back and he said, yeah, I, I think the best part happened. And of course, it turned out to be true. And he never won again. And then two up with three to play in the singles at the Ryder Cup against Faldo, of all people, in 95. He lost the last three holes. And so that was the end of Curtis Strange. But the internal end, the, the walking back down from the top of Mount Everest, occurred at the conclusion of Medina when he knew he wasn't going to walk that hill again. He might do some good stuff, but it wasn't going to be that mountain. It might be something out on the West Coast, a little easier to handle, but it wasn't going to be that one again.
1: Peter, one more before I let you go. And you had a very touching conversation with Payne Stewart. It was interesting to learn how much of Payne's focus was on winning a U.S. Open. He did it twice in 91 and 99. Talk about why that tournament was so important to Payne.
2: It was important to his dad. You know, his dad died so young and. You know his dad got to see him win in eighty two at quad cities, and he got to see a couple other things, but you know he he was gone in the mid eighties and you know pain was just starting to get get things going but you know, his dad was a super-duper player, and his dad was also friends with a lot of really good players who had been professionals. R- were some really interesting characters, like, like Kyle Boone, who was a super player in the 30s on tour, didn't win a bunch of stuff, was great ball hitter. A lot of guys went to him and said, you know, take a look at my swing. But he was super-duper crazy. Like, he would do stuff like, if he three-putted, He might stick his hand into a thorn bush and take it in and take it out until it came out all bloody. And he would say, that'll teach you from getting into the shot again. And so his wife said to him, Kai, she said, if you ever do anything like that again, you ever hurt yourself or hit yourself with a club, which you did many times. She said, that's the end of the relationship. So LaFoon is playing in a tournament and everything's going fine. Then all of a sudden he makes three or four birdies and he gets himself into a touchy situation because now he's in the lead. And then one of the guys who had already finished is sitting in a tree, Bobby Crookshank, heckling Kyle LaFoon as he's trying to two putt from 30 feet and then he three putted. So LaFoon throws the putter. Then he starts looking around the back of the green and all the bushes, and he finds a huckleberry bush, and he goes over to the huckleberry bush, and he puts his right hand in, and he takes it out, and it's bloody, and he puts it back in, and he takes it out, and it's bloody, and his wife is there, and she comes up to him, and she said, that's it. I told you, if you ever did anything like that again, it's over, and he said, it has nothing to do with that, and he said, I just don't like huckleberry." And so that was somebody that taught pain how to play super golf and hit a lot of shots. And his dad, you know, taught Payne how to let the ball fall to the right. And so because it meant a lot to his dad and because he lost his dad early and because he didn't get to see the things that Payne ultimately did you know, that was, became then something that he carried. It was important to his dad. Okay. Now it's important to me. And he was a U.S. open type player. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, here's a guy who swung at 80% for sure, for sure. And he put the ball in play. I played with him. I mean, you know, it was insane. He just, you know, make that little, that easy swing and looks like you're not even doing anything and, you know, and the ball would go a mile and he had a lot of irons around the hole and he had super duper touch and he was great to play with and if you played with him, he would wear long pants and a, a normal cap, so you didn't realize that it was Payne Stewart because he wasn't dressed in his costume and stuff. That's what I said to him the first time he showed up for a game. I said, I'm so glad I do see that stupid-ass costume with the plus fours and all that dopey stuff. And he laughed, and we got along so well. But, you know, yeah, so it was critically important to him. And I remember he had a chance to win in 93 and lost to Lee Jansen up at uh, Bald Straw. I went there, actually, and I was there at Olympic in '98 when when he lost to Lee Jansen again. Lee's two U.S. Opens, Payne's two misses, and of course I was there in '99. And after he won in '99, and I had a chance to run into him, but when we did some TV that night. I remember, and I said to him, you know, how proud would your dad be right now? And you know, and he said he'd be so effing proud, Peter. He said, he said, and I guess Peter, you'll uh, you'll be wanting to talk to me tonight. I said, you know what? You're not really that interesting. I said, I said, I'd actually rather interview Phil because I really felt like he should have been the winner. And so, of course, you know, he laughed and he came up and we did a show and stuff. But no, I loved him. And I was with Payne two weeks before he died. We were October 10th, 1999 at the Old Course in St. Andrews. He was playing the Dunhill Cup. I was there doing some interviewing and whatever. He finished his match, his singles match, sat down and behind the steps. We were supposed to have played golf a few weeks before, but he did a goofy Chinese impersonation and he thought I was going to, you know, skewer him for it, which I would have. And so we blew off the show. And so we're sitting there and it's October 10th and he goes, Well, okay, so well, I'm going home to Orlando and I got to go to Houston for this thing. I'm working on a golf course. And then, of course, there's, tur- I got go to go, there's a tournament there right after. He said, So let's play, let's play in November. He said, the first week of November, I'm actually good. If you want to play eat, and then do the show and then go out for dinner and I'll get drunk and you can drive me home and how come you don't drink? And, and then he looked at me and he goes, remember, Peter, we have all the time in the world. And referring to playing golf in November, which Payne never got to see. And two weeks and one day later, he was gone. And so, you know, that now well, that was very personal to me, obviously, because I knew him and at his funeral, they used a clip from one of our shows together where he said, you know, if I, if I die on my way home, driving home tonight, my car, I, I'm going to be at peace because I love my family, and I love my God, and I have a peaceful heart, and everything is good, and I'm the best man that I've ever been. So if I go right now, I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. What a story.
1: Well, Peter, before we let you go, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you continue to do and follow you online and on social media as well.
2: I would really just say, you know, my Twitter feed or my Facebook. I'm usually a little bit ahead on Twitter, and then within the next 24 hours, I move it all over to Facebook. But I've got 35 two-minute U.S. Open run-up pieces posted on Twitter And, of course, I wrote, you know, now every major, I I write a new rock and roll song. I posted that the other day. And, uh, you know, my muse is Leonardo da Vinci. So I said, so, Leo, I said, so, you know, like you, I do a lot of different things. And I said, so, you know, I want you to hear this song. So I played da Vinci the song. And. Yeah, you know, and he looked at me, and I said, "Well, I mean, think about it." I said, "There's a, an original section, a talkback section, nobody's ever done before." And I said, "There's there's Elvis hints at the beginning and the end." And you know, eventually he looks at me and he goes, "Blackbird was better." So you know, <laughs> I, so I'm just doing everything I can to, to to put up as much good stuff as I can, and I and I hope people will watch it. And if I and I've got a couple things up my sleeve, and you and I will get a chance to talk about it next time we talk because cause we'll break them together. But Twitter is a good place to follow me because I'm extremely active, and you know, and I let all 16 of my personalities run completely free, and I'm very unpredictable, but I'm never boring. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good follow there.
1: Well, Peter... There is no better way to kick off the show on a Tuesday night than getting to spend some time with you listening to your stories and your insights. Hope you'll come back and join me again real soon, my friend. Always a privilege having you as part of the show.
2: Yeah, even I was entertained, so that was really cool. So I'm looking forward to the next time. Thanks, buddy. It's always great to be with you. You're my man. You're my man. And listen, you tell these Launchpad people that we have some kind of a contract where I appear regularly because... I want to get that thing pumped up at the beginning, and you might as well go with the Beatles, which is me in one person. So let's do that, you know, as soon as that thing gets cracking. But <laughs> tell them I'm on. Tell them I'm in. Tell them we have a deal. Tell them you're paying me such a fortune. we got to get this going.
1: <laughs> I appreciate you, Peter. I will definitely Take do care, that. Take care, buddy. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family.
2: Thanks, buddy. You too
1: that's a great Peter Kessler at Peter Kessler on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. He's got such great content and so many great interviews that he's got posted there from his time on the Golf Channel. So please go check him out. And like he said, it's a run up to the U.S. Open. So he's got a lot of things that were in conjunction with uh, some of the historical U.S. Open, some of the great ones uh, from the past. So uh, go check him out online again at Peter Kessler on Twitter and give him a follow on uh, Facebook as well. All right. Now, before I get to my next guest, Rob Streno, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors. And first, folks, well, you know, TaylorMade has done it again. The all new TaylorMade M5 and M6 are out there. And what a great story they are. They both feature speed injected twist base, which is created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head and I do mean every single head is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head is made to be tour spicy. So speed for all of us. Check it out online at tailormadegolf.com. And I also want to give a shout out to one of our newer sponsors, the uh, Sandestin Resort, which is surrounded by white sandy beaches and the beauty of the Gulf of Mexico, Sandestin Golf and Beach Resort offers three championship golf courses open to the public and one semi-private course as well. With recognition from leading golf magazines and reviewers from around the world, each course provides an exciting challenge in different scenic settings. Golfers can choose to play one or all of the courses, which include Raven Golf Club, which is a Robert Trent Jones layout, played, which played host to the PGA Tour Champions back in 2006 and 2007. The Lynx Golf Club, designed by Tom Jackson, offers a winding layout with a backdrop of Baytown Marina and the Chakawachi Bay. Baytown Golf Club, also designed by Tom Jackson, offers a fifth set of U.S. Kids Juniors tees. And then you've got Burnt Pine Golf Club, which is a semi-private Reese Jones design, which is available only to registered Sandestin guests. So visit them online at sandestin.com forward slash or give them a call at 844-887-SAN for more information and to book your tee times as well. I also want to welcome Golf Pride to the Next on the T family. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and experience a secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip Golf Pride. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Two Under. I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under, men's performance briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour, worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, which is another story. And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effects—a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code ON THE T20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com, And that's the number two. UNDR.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is Rob Strano. Let me remind you about Rob's background. He is from St. Louis, Missouri. As a junior player in the uh, St. Louis district, Rob won the individual low stroke average trophy and individual total points championship trophy back in 1981. He was a three time All Southwestern Conference player and a two time All Area player in high school. And he played his college golf out in Centenary College, which is in Louisiana. From there, he went on to the PGA Tour, played on the PGA Nationwide and Hooters NGA Tour for 15 years, won five times out there. He's now one of the top instructors in the game for both kids and adults. He's annually recognized by U.S. Kids as one of their top instructors. Plus, he is one of the few few teachers out there that is helping deaf children learn the game of golf. You've probably seen Rob on the golf channel with, uh, golf, uh, golf academy. He's got a lot of really great videos there available. He is one of their lead instructors. His golf show, which is called the golf kingdom, which is outstanding, folks. You can watch it on blab TV or stream it on the blab TV a- uh, app as well. It airs Wednesday nights at uh, 10 p.m. Central time. Again, one of the best golf shows you're going to find on TV. His strano golf academy is located at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida, which is a beautiful, Facility and one of the great golf courses in that area. And as always, I am honored that Rob is back on the show with me again tonight here on Next on the t Hey, Rob, how are you, my friend?
3: Uh, I'm doing great. Great to be on with you again, Chris. But I, I really don't know how you follow the legendary, the great Peter Kessler. I'm I'm trying to get my my Peter Kessler voice going here, and I can't do it. And I mean, he he, he he's he was the white horse of the apocalypse, and and the second horse is the red horse. I'm the I'm the red horse following him, and there's just no following the white horse. I mean, <laughs> it, I mean hey, hey, it's been great to be on Next to the Next on the Tee. Great having everybody tonight. Goodbye. I mean, it's it's Peter Kisper. <laughs> How do you follow Peter? <laughs> I Look, mean, the voice of God. Well,
1: if anyone can do a Rob Strano, it is definitely you, my friend.
3: <laughs> well, so, I'm listening to Peter, and so, listening to Peter reminds me of when I sit down, and I have lunch with Mr. Bob Golby when I'm home at my club in St. Louis where I grew up. And, and I, I sit down with him every chance I get. And I just sit down and take notes. And listening to Peter just reminded me of so much of the history of the game that is in my head. That's just there. It's knowledge. And he just reminds me of so many great things and adds to that knowledge with his great stories. It's just a guy when he books, take notes and remember them because he's got so many stories that are on the tip of his tongue and so many he's just forgotten.
1: Indeed, yeah, absolutely. A lot of times, all I have to do is say hello to Peter and let him go, and and then uh, the segment's <laughs> over. So yeah, there's 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 certainly a ton there. But Rob, before we get into all the golf stuff, and and as you uh, as I talk about in your intro, and you just mentioned, as a kid from St. Louis, I gotta know, are you living and dying by the Stanley Cup right now? Are you ready for Game Seven?
3: I, uh, you know what? The other night, I was eating blood pressure medicine like it were m like they were M and M's. I mean to tell you, you know we've. <laughs> I grew up a huge Blues fan, a huge hockey fan, huge uh, St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan and the St. Louis football Cardinals when we had them in St. Louis. Um, and for those of us that have sat and watched the Blues for years, you know, our, our coach said it best. Even though we didn't close out at home, we've been a great road team all throughout the playoffs, all throughout the season, which boggles my mind how we can't, you know, defend home ice. But, but our coach said this in a press, presser after the game. He said, you know what? If you would have said to me in January, we'd be playing game seven for the Stanley Cup, I would have taken it. And we're a good road team and we've won twice in Boston. We feel good about our chances going back up there and I feel good about them on the road. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a a great game. All great, all game sevens are great. And I, I asked Chris Berman one time sitting in the locker room at Hartford. I said, Chris, is there anything better in all sports than a NHL? Playoff game, let alone the Stanley Cup game seven, the last 10 minutes of those games when they're tied or one goal separates them. It's just on the edge of your seat action where you're just holding your breath. And I'm looking forward to it and, and win or lose. I'm proud of our team and the comeback we've made this year. And it's been a great ride. It's been enjoyable to watch as a fan.
1: So, Rob, I, I want to obviously switch gears. and want to talk a little, a little golf while I got you on the show. And, and, uh, I had the, uh, the privilege of spending some time with you back in April when I was in Destin, uh, with my boys for our annual golf trip. And, and, uh, you took one look at my swing and said, you know, I can help you improve. And all you have to do is change one thing. And boy, I was excited. It's what And you looked at me and you said, everything.
4: So, and it
1: started <laughs>
4: well,
3: that's, with, that's, that's with my weight far transfer. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's far so, from true from our listeners, but but yeah, we you know, we got together and worked on the game, and and um, you know, there's something similar in your game that's similar to a lot of players, and that's that you, it's in the backswing you tend to tilt towards the target a little bit, and the downswing you tilt away. It's a national cause and effect. You tilt toward, you you tilt away. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, and we see it in golf in that people lean towards the target and then they're breathing away, and it's interesting that that this comes up because on this week's TV show, which debuts tomorrow night on the golf kingdom, my show, I talk about this in my pop culture segment and it's the pop culture segment is, is the back to the future segment. And I talk about, do you time travel on the golf swing by moving away from the ball on the target on the downswing because you tilt at the top and you're trying to buy time to get the club face around and square it at impact. And that's what we worked on a little bit. And, it just takes a little time and work to just kind of work yourself out of that tilt and give yourself time in the downswing. And, and Jerry Hots, who I grew up with, who is the nephew of Mr. Golby, said to me one day, he said, you know, all great swings have time. They don't buy time. They have time. And that's what we're trying to do is trying to give you a little more time to get the club face around, build your speed on the downswing, catch it sound, and hit a little farther.
1: And Rob, one of the things that we were talking about is weight transfer, right? And you were talking about, you know, getting me, you know, a little bit more on my, on my left side, you know, on the backswing and then transferring that to my right side and the transition and on the downswing. Talk about finding the right weight transfer and the balance in your feet and making sure that we are loading up and then unloading in the golf swing.
3: Well, it's actually a basic athletic or life skill movement that is part of the golf swing. So if I just said, If I just tossed you a ball and said, here, throw it at that target 15, 20 yards away, you're going to naturally shift to your right and shift to your left. You would never stand perfectly still and then lunge forward and throw it. No one does that. I mean, kids that are learning to throw may do that, but, you know, if you're an athlete and you throw, you shift to the right, shift to the left. You're going to throw a bucket of water, you're going to get a yucky uh, bucket of water and you're going to throw it away, you shift and you shift to the right and throw it. If you don't shift to the right to pull the bucket of water, you're going to lunch 40 to fill the bucket of water straight up in the air, and it may come back down on top of your head. Um, you know, If we were – I always use the example. If we decided we were going to revolt and rob Fort Knox and we were going to have a chain gang passing the gold bullion from the vault to our truck to take them to our, our island if, if as we're leaving the country, if I'm going to pass something heavy from left to right, I'm going to shift from the, from the left to the right. If I try to stay still and pass that chunk of gold bullion to you to my right to pass to your your son on the right, well, it's not going to work because I'm going to tear my back up because a chunk of gold bullion is exceptionally heavy. I'm going to have a little shift to the right. I'm going to hand it to you. I'm going to shift back to the left to grab the next one. It's a natural life movement or natural athletic movement is that little shift to the right turn. So when you swing, it's just a little shift. And by a little, I mean it's an inch if you're looking at your shadow on the ground. And you've got a little tee stuck on your your lead ear, your left ear if you're right-handed or golf ball there. It's a little one-inch shift that accomplishes the move. It breaks your eyes loose and gets your eyes to shift a little to the right. Your nose will turn about 10, 15 degrees to the right, and that gets you turned behind it in the right spot to deliver it athletically on the downswing.
1: And Rob, let's talk a little bit about putting because you also gave me some, some good advice about my putting stroke. And the the question you asked me is, where's your miss? You miss on the high side, you miss on the low side. And I told you for me, I miss on the low side. So how, how can we do a better job? Let our listeners know what, what are some things if our miss is on the low side of the hole consistently, what are some things that we can do to make more putts?
3: Well, if your miss is on the low side of the hole, the question you want to ask yourself off the bat is, are your reads good? I'm a certified aim point express uh coach and you know I I teach that green reading method and that tends to eliminate people under reading putts. Everybody tends to under read the break and then hit it too hard and knocks it four or five feet by. If you have a missed bias, the simple thing to look at is ball position. Usually if the ball position is too far back, more towards the buttons on your shirt, the zipper on your pants, the face isn't getting enough time to come around and square. Therefore it's arriving at the ball open and the ball will miss to the right or the, the high side, if it's a right to left putt. If the ball's too far forward, which is an error you never see, the ball will miss left. If the ball position's perfectly placed, and I always tell people I want it to, to be right in the logo of your shirt. So if your logo is in your left pec or on the left side of your shirt, put the ball there. It, if, if your stance width isn't too wide, your left foot will sit to where. If you put it towards your left toe or your left instep as your foot's pointed forward, That'll pretty much get the ball to arrive at the logo. That gives the face a chance to square and the ball to be launched online with its face square and and a little bit of rise in the putter to get the ball turning over and hugging the ground. If the ball position is too far back, the face usually arrives open, you're hitting down on it, and the ball is popping up in the air and starting off to the high side or to the right of your line if it's a right to left putt.
1: Rob, one of the things that I love about you the most is how incredibly positive you are. You got a smile on your face. You enjoy what you're doing. Everything about you comes across as being just such a wonderful, positive individual. And one of the things that we talk a lot about on this show is about the negative self-talk that we do to ourselves out on the golf course. We badmouth ourselves. We get down on ourselves, that sort of thing. You know how how do you train your students to you know what leave that behind forget about that be positive and and have a have the right frame of mind even if we've hit a bad shot or we put ourselves in a bad position or had a bad hole how do you recover from that how do you teach your students to be more positive
3: well the first thing I do is I have them listen to the way they talk to everybody else in the group so if you and I are playing Chris and you hit a bad shot and you get down and you kind of maybe slam your club on the ground or slam it back in your bag, I usually will give you a pep talk. If you have a bad hole, I will usually give you a pep talk. I will go, it's okay, buddy, put it behind you. You'll get them on the next hole. And I'll say to the player, I'll go, why don't you ever talk to yourself like that? Why don't you ever become your own best friend? Why don't you become your biggest cheerleader? our players, we're our biggest cheerleaders. We had a bad shot. We're like, it's okay. Let's get the next one. We have a bad hole. It's like, okay, bounce back. Let's get, let's get a good tee shot here. Get a good approach. Give ourselves a look at birdie. If not birdie, make a par. But we're always we're always on to the next thing. It's always, we're a cheerleader for ourselves, and we're going, and we're going, and we're going. Another example I use is this. Have you ever smelled a, a, a smelly trash bag in the kitchen, Chris? Like your wife has said, <laughs> yeah. get this out of the kitchen. What if I bagged that up, We got to the golf course. And on the first tee, I said, Chris, we're going to walk today. I've got a caddy for you, and you're going to carry this bag of trash around all day. Are you going to do that? No. No. Good, quick. That was a perfect answer. No. But when we're a garbage man on ourselves, and we just keep criticism on ourselves the whole day, we're just trashing ourselves. We're carrying that stinky trash around all day. We're no fun to play with. Our friends are listening to us going, geez, listen to this. Trash, he's talking about his garbage. I can't cheer him up. He's no fun. You know, they're just going to kind of exile you to the, you know, to your own little golf, you know, pity party island. Become your own cheerleader. Get in your corner. Talk about, you know, I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to make a better swing and keep rooting for yourself all the way through the round. Do what you do for your buddies to yourself. You'll find two things. You'll have a better attitude. You'll, you'll bounce back and You'll be
1: more fun to play. With. Rob, one more before I let you go. And, you know, this being, um, you know, what's going on with the U.S. Open this week and that sort of thing. I, w- I want to get your thoughts on what do you expect to see? I mean, with the, with the playing conditions, you know, it looks like it's going to be benign weather based on the forecast. Maybe a little bit wind, you know, 10, 12 miles an hour, that sort of thing. But what do you expect to see this week out of Pebble Beach and who do you expect to be on top of the leaderboard?
3: Well, I, I got to ask my picks earlier and they're, they're out there. I sent them in the golf channel. I'll put them on social media in a little bit, but we get asked as golf channel guys, you know, who are our picks? Um, I picked Dustin Johnson to win it. I, I wanted to pick Kepka because if you get knocked off, you're the, you're the top guy in the totem pile. You're the king of the hill. He's won two in a row until someone shows they can beat him. To me, he's, he's the guy. Okay. And, I just saw a thing out there on, on, um, on the media that the Fox trailers for the U.S. Open that they're running don't include him in several of them. And he saw them and his friends showed, him, you know, sent him links to them. So just like he didn't need more, more motivation. Now he's got it because Fox is running promos for U.S. Open and he's not in them. So how about that? The guys went in a Fox is just blowing him up. So. Kepka's got a little more chip on his shoulder to go, okay, let's win three of these and, and everybody, anybody will pay attention to me now. But Dustin's got unfinished business from when he blew the last one. He had it, he had it by the throat. He shot, what do you think? He shot 81 the last day, messed up the second hole, it was all downhill from there. I think it's, it's retribution time for him. He knows how to play the course. It, it's in his wheelhouse. He's, he knows he could play three rounds for last time. He just got to put the, the icing on top of the cake, or put the bow on top of the gift, I think he finishes the deal this time. We get asked our dark horses, and I picked here's the guy I picked as my dark horse, and I'm chuckling for the reason I picked him. Matt is my dark horse. He's been playing pretty good golf. He was there coming into the final round in Canada this week, had a really good low round there, but I picked Kuchar for this reason. The guy's been fed more crap this year than a portalette whether it's the golf course <laughs> stuff that he's, he's, he's had trouble with or it's, you know, the, the episode with the caddy where he stiffed the caddy and owed him a ton more money than what he paid him. The guys, the guys dealt with all this and still played pretty good golf. So, you know what? The, the final round of US opening contention is nothing compared to the distractions he's, he's faced on the golf course from all that he's self-inflicted on himself this year. So, if he's there, look for him to maybe close this out what What I think you'll see out of Pebble Beach is what we've seen from previous u s opens, excluding the 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 two thousand Tiger Wood massacre where he shot twelve under and one by fifteen. I think you're okay. going to see scores where like like Mr. Kessler said, I think two under per day, if things are set up like we hope they are. I think two, three under will be your score, you know, low score per day. If you get a guy who's a little bit hot on his game, you might see a 66 or 7. If you get a guy who goes that route more than one day, maybe first, third day or second, third day or second and fourth, this is a guy who's dead on his game. And it doesn't matter where they put the flags. It doesn't matter how wide they cut the fairways, how narrow they cut them. This guy is dead on. And it's going to be as weak like it was Tiger in 2000 when he went for 12-under. Um, I, I haven't thought about a winning score, but I think familiarity to the course, um, because we played on two every year, I think that's going to yield, no matter how hard they set it up, I think it's going to yield a winning score. If it's benign, around six or seven, eight to nine if a guy is really dead on his game. Double figures, I don't see us getting there. Um, it won't be an aaron hill Aaron Hills kind of thing. so you know, I think we'll be kind of right in that that five six seven number from the course. I think it's gonna play beautifully if it plays with a little bit of breeze and they've got it set up the way we all hope they do. you know the USGA s j hasn't proven to be the smartest bulb in the box uh, smartest bulb in the box, the brightest bulb in the box um, so those of us that that hope the u s has figured out or got our fingers crossed. I saw a picture where. They've got Mark Russell from the PGA Tour staff helping them out. Mark is phenomenal. The more PGA Tour guys the USGA brings in, the better chance they have of getting it right because these aren't golf people running the US Open. The USGA, in my opinion, should handle the history of the game, and they ought to let golf people and people that run you know big-time tournaments run that tournament for them, and this thing would be fantastic year in, year out. But that, those are my kind of thoughts on what this year's US Open will look like when you get to teed up Thursday morning.
1: Rob, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media.
3: Well, the great thing that's going on right now is my TV show, the golf kingdom. It's, it's a golf show. Unlike you've, you've ever seen. It is a true variety show. It's not just, here's a bunch of golf tips. Yeah, we give golf tips. We give things to help your game, but I, people that know me know it's, it's, Pop culture themes. We're using movies and songs and catchphrases to, to help you remember what we're talking about to fix your game. I've got a build it segment. I put my hard hat on. Yes, I do. I put a hard hat on. We help you build your game. I've got guests. I've got, you know, all kinds of people coming in that are experts in the game. We cover all areas and it's fun. It's fast paced. You can catch it live on blab TV at blabtv.com. You can, you can stream it by going to Blad TV, go to Programming, all the shows are archived there. Um, You can watch it on the app also when it's on. Go to social media, whether it's Rob Strano or Strano Golf Academy on all the platforms, but there's also the Golf Kingdom. We post all kinds of videos um, from the show. We let you know what time it's on there. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, all over the place. We've got all kinds of fun things. We just filmed the 4th of July show the other day. This week's show is the Father's Day show. Um, I have a real touching tribute to fathers at the in the Time to Rise segment, which is the last segment on the show, which is motivational. Um, You don't want to miss the Father's Day segment there. If you do miss it, like I said, it'll be out there on social media. I'll post it all over the place for you just to watch that segment. Um, But we filmed the 4th of July show. It's a tribute to founding fathers. I will leave you with that. there's a little costume involved as I represent the Founding Fathers. It is the <laughs> declaration of your golf independence coming up on the 4th of July show on the Golf Kingdom.
1: Rob, it's a great show. I always enjoy watching it. It's informative. It's, it's fun. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to the Founding Fathers show. So that ought to be a lot of fun as well. But, Rob, I can't thank you enough, my friend. You're the best. Thanks for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon.
3: Well, it's always great to be on. And even though I'm the second horse tonight, it's okay because the first horse was was a stallion and a thoroughbred. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just one of those horses pulling the carriage right in behind Peter Kessler. And um, got great guests coming on. Thanks again for having me.
1: You bet, Rob. Take care. All the best of you and your family, my friend. We'll catch up soon.
3: Thanks. Great talking to you.
1: That's a great Rob Strano,
3: at Strano
1: Golf. You can find him on Twitter. And uh, again, folks, the go- uh, Golf Kingdom is an absolutely outstanding show. Take a look at it on blabtv.com. You can download the Blab TV app as well. His show is, like I say, it's a lot of fun. It's very informative, and uh, you're going to really enjoy yourself when, uh, when you're taking a look at it. So a lot of great stuff and a lot of great content that Rob continues to push out, and uh, we look forward to catching up with him again real soon. All right, I've got my next guest, Tom Patry, hanging on the line. We're going to get Tom on the other side of this real quick message about our good friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
0: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Right
1: before I get to Tom, I want to give a quick shout out to one of our new friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. Go online and check them out at positivevibesgolf.com and follow them on Twitter at pvibesgolf. Their head covers and putter covers are a very unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts, and they're a great training aid on the course because you see it, you smile, you stay positive, and that's what we're all about here. They've got happy images that are going to be right there in the forefront of your mind. Again, visit them online at Golf. Dot com. And now back with me here on the French Liquor Resort guest line is our good friend Tom Patry. Tom is a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor. He is also the new director of instruction at the Hawthorns Golf and Country Club up in Fishers, Indiana. And folks, if you're anywhere near Indianapolis and need help with your golf game, go check out Tom. Check him out on his website, TomPatry.com. Subscribe to his newsletter and get in contact with him to book a lesson because T.P is absolutely one of the best in the game and i'm always honored to have him back uh back with me on uh next on the t hey tp how are you my friend
4: from my man what's going on big boy
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing well my friend how are things up in fishers indiana
4: yeah well it's, it's actually been wonderful chris I, the, the membership has been really welcoming it's a wonderful place it's about to, uh, Actually, I went down downtown Indy yesterday on my day off. It took me about 30 minutes to get into town. So I'm about 30 minutes north of Indianapolis and in Fishers. Uh, the Hawthorns is a really good golf course. I'm very, very, uh, as I said to you last time, very excited about how good the golf course is. I've been getting out to play a little bit in the evenings. Uh, it's a hard golf course. It's, it's not the, it's not for the faint of heart. Practice facility is wonderful. And yeah, I can, uh, I can entertain non-members here on a case availability basis. So, if anybody's within a thousand miles and they want a good golf instructor, I'm here for them.
3: Ah, there you go.
4: So,
1: Tom, one of the things that that I want to talk about, you know, first of all, first and foremost, it doesn't seem like it's possible that it's been a year since the last U.S. Open because it seems like just a couple of months ago you and I were talking about how you were there managing the driving range at Shinnecock Hills for the U.S. Open, but boy, here we are again, and it's and it's been a year later, so. Um, your thoughts on, on the, on this week and what you expect to see out of Pebble Beach?
4: Well, you know, we talked a little bit uh, you know, you know, I texting back and forth, Chris, and I, I just think that, you know, I, I think this golf course brings a lot of players into the mix that, you know, weren't in the mix at a place like Shinnecock at, at uh, par 70, 7300 yards, weren't in the mix at a major like the PGA at Beth Page Black at 7600 yards, par 70. Here's a, a par 72 golf course that plays, you know, arguably, right around 7,100 yards, you know, depending on conditions. But you know, like Peter said in his segment, uh, uh, you know, I woke up. I woke up during one comment he was making. I I, I had nodded off, but uh, he made a reference to Paven winning at Shinnecock, and I th- I think Pebble brings back in you know the Kevin Kisners of the world and the Matt Kuchers of the world, the Jordan Spieths of the world, and, you know, and and doesn't exclude them from the championship. So I think it's a really open contest.
1: Tom, you know, one of the things when I look at Pebble Beach, and it certainly isn't a long course, right? It's just a a little under 7,100 yards, so much shorter than what we've seen at Augusta National or certainly at Page Black. So when you when you see a course it's about 7100 yards long and if the course plays benign and the weather conditions aren't supposed to be bad. So and, and to me weather is what is going to make a difference. It's certainly what makes St Andrews difficult because at St Andrews if the weather over there isn't bad, boy, the course really seems defenseless for how far these guys hit the ball and they can really go low. So what's your expectation if if the weather is nice is this going to be something where we see guys Go really low, or do you think that even though it, the, the conditions aren't going to be as bad as maybe we saw in '72 when Nicholas was, you know, trying to, you know, shoot 74 just to win the golf tournament, all of a sudden now with the winds down that we could see guys shooting four rounds in the 60s. What's your expectation from a score perspective?
4: Yeah, I, I think I think it's a very very it's a Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde golf course Chris. I mean, if it if, if it is benign like you say, you know, it's very gettable. I mean, these guys don't have to hit driver a lot. They can keep the ball in play. I think, you know, a a guy like Francesco Molinari who drives the ball in play and is a wonderful iron player, has great distance control, a player like that in benign conditions can do a lot of damage here. I I disagree with Rob a little bit, your previous guest, that if it is benign, I think you can see double digits of pebble. But conversely, if you just get two out of the four days that are bad, the whole game changes. Everything changes dramatically. Um, so I think, I think it's very weather dependent. I think it's very, you know, uh, you know, obviously wind and rain dependent, you know, and, and listen, we've seen enough golf tournaments on the Monterey Peninsula to know how fast the weather can change and how off the forecast can be. So I know the forecast is not very bad, as you said, but that, that, that peninsula, the weather can change, you know, as you snap your fingers. So it, it, it is all weather dependent there.
1: Tom, I want to switch gears a little bit. And one of the things that I've heard you say over the last year is that golf is overtaught but undercoached. Talk about what you mean by that.
4: Well, I, I think, Chris, you know, in, in 2019, <laughs> you know, we've got TrackMan, we've got KVEST, we've you've got FlightScope, we've got V1 Video. We've got the Golf Channel. We've got multiple golf publications and magazines. We've got call-in radio shows. We've got talk radio shows like this one. And there's just an, an over polythia of, of golf information being thrown at the general public. And, you know, so, so many people come to my lesson team and their head is spinning. Um, I think we have to make the game easier to, to grow the game. I, I think we have all these grow-the-game initiatives. I think the first way you grow the game is allow people to understand that it's not impossible to play good golf. So, I think I, I do two things. I teach and I coach, and I I teach the X's and O's in, in, in at the club level at least in a I think a very simplified manner that's understandable. And one of the comments I get all the time is, "Oh, I understand that. Why didn't just some Why didn't somebody say that to me 15 years ago? I understand what you're saying. It's always been so complicated." And then the second thing is I coach a lot, and my most of my coaching is done on the golf course. I think you have to get on the golf course with your students. And play the game. On the, on the lesson tee, we play golf swing. On the golf course, we play golf. And I think those are very different things in terms of the learning process and the coaching process. So you, I don't think you coach on the tee. I think you coach on the course. So I, you need to get out there and teach people how to play the golf course.
1: And to that end, Tom. Right. And, and you mentioned it a little bit a moment ago. I mean, it seems like instruction, a lot of focus is on track man and spin rates and smash factors and all that sort of stuff. Right. But it, is there still place in golf instruction, you know, sort of the old school sort of ways? And you talked about it when, you know, a couple of weeks ago, how you've got that, you know, sort of wooden plane, you know, uh, you got your logo on there and that nice wood setup that helps people with their swing plane. That's sort of an old school sort of thing. Um, is, is there still a place for that, or or does everyone sort of want to go down the the technology path? And I, I want to hit it into a a video screen, and I want to see what my spin rates are and all that sort of stuff. Where does old school technique still have a place in golf?
4: I I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell a story that I'm not particularly proud of, Chris. But a couple of weeks ago, a guy who'd been chasing me around online on social media, who I could tell by our conversation, he started texting me about coming to me and see me at Hawthorne's. I could tell I was not a good fit for him. He, he was very, very technical. He was very aggressive about, you know, being technically savvy. And I, I said to him on a couple of different occasions, I said, I don't think we're a good match. I said, I'm, I'm a lot more fundamental than that. Uh, and he came for a lesson and he was almost, you know, I, I, I think angry is the wrong word, but he was very angry that I, I wouldn't use track man and I wouldn't use this device and do that advice. And I, And that he was set up, aimed 30 yards to the right, and came dead over the top of it trying to get the ball back on the line. I said, you know, unless you improve your lines, unless you improve your setup conditions, you're never going to have the club on plane anyway. So don't worry about track, man. Let's just get your setup better. And he was very, very uh, belligerent that the lesson was a setup-based lesson, that a pre-shot swing setup-based lesson. And he went away very angry and, and sent me the nastiest text message afterwards that, you know. I was so old-fashioned, and I had to get with the times, and I kind of laughed at myself because this guy's going to be the same golfer a year from now as he is right now. Um, so I, I think there's a place for technology and instruction. I don't, I don't think that technology is is not viable. I just think that we u- overuse it sometimes, and 99% of the people that come to you at the club level, don't. if you ask them to find Smashback, they couldn't do it. So what are they? What what are you worried about Smashback for when you don't even know what it is? I, I just think we're, I think we're out of control that way sometimes.
1: Tom, you know, one of the things that you always pound into my head is uh, how important a short game is. Short game, short game, short game. And I think that's a part of the game that too many of us, you know, weekend hackers, we don't spend anywhere near enough time on. We're out buying a new driver hoping that we can get an extra, you know, 10 yards with it. When for players like me and look, you know, I, I drive the ball, you know, 230 on a good day. If it's downhill, downwind, 235 and on a 410 <laughs> yard par four, that extra 10 yards is really the difference between me hitting a four iron or a five iron into the green and then hoping, you know, that it, it, you know that, that shot's going to hold the green. But like, you know, like Gary Player always says to me as well, you know, the, the way to improve your scores is from a 100 yards in and really turning three shots into two. When you're inside of a hundred yards. So for, for a lesson for our folks tonight, you know, let's not even go a hundred yards. Let's go 50 yards. How can we do a better job of turning three strokes into two from 50 yards in?
4: Well, how about by starting by going to the short game area? How about just showing up today? I, it's funny you say that Chris, today I was, you know, I had a full docket of lessons. I taught from, uh, from 8am till 6pm uh, straight through. And the short game area at the Hawthorns is right behind my tee, maybe 15 yards behind my tee. So it's just over my shoulder. And I gave uh, a whole day of lessons and the the range was pretty crowded all day. And I counted four people that went to the short game area in, in 10 hours. So I, I don't know what it's going to take for people like you and I to convince the listener that the first thing they have to do is go spend time in that area. Uh, I think if you're just a reasonable athlete, just a decent athlete, there's a lot of things that you can figure out on your own about short game as far as club selection and, you know, and and how to manage the size of your swing and where to place the ball in your stance and where to put your weight and your hands a little bit forward, basic fundamental things and hitting chip and pitch shots. Um, And then certainly, you know, if you have a good coach, they can refine that and make it a little more sophisticated and a a little bit more user-friendly for you. I don't see people spending any time in that area because I just don't. It's, you know, I know it's not exciting. It's not glamorous. It's not, it's not exciting as hitting the driver and we're hitting a hybrid over, over the pond from 200 yards away onto the green. I, I get some, it's as exciting as that, but the bottom line is if you can't do things from 30 or 40 yards in, not even 50 yards, you know, I, you know most people that I see at the club level, they don't play short game, they play hockey, you know. <laughs> They sunk one, they skull one, and they three-putt. That, that's that's their short game. And they could change that so quickly, so quickly, and and really enjoy the game so much more and shoot such low scores. I think they have to show up first.
1: Tom, one more before we let you go, and I want to talk about lag putts because if there's going to be a couple of areas where we're going to take three shots and turn it into two, it's from 50 yards in and the chips. You talk about that and getting more practice there. But it's also taking those, you know, lag putts, those 40, 50 foot putts and turning that from three putts into two putts. How do we do a better job judging the distance and making sure that we are stroking the putt appropriately for those longer ones?
4: And I think that's a great question, Chris. I think that, you know, lag putting for me is three things. Basically, it's it's the length of my stroke, it's the pace of my stroke, and it's center face contact. So starting with the basic premise of center face contact to calibrate and be able to replicate a distance time in and time out, most people don't hit the putt solidly because they move their head a lot or they move their body a lot while they're swinging their arms. So I think, you know, a stable base and a rock-solid centered head is a good place to start to make consistent contact. You know, a lot of times when I go out and start practicing my putting, I'll take a, a bunch of balls to the side of the green and I'll just aim across the green, not even at, a hole or not even a target and I'll just make strokes and I'll just try to feel center face contact and pay attention to where I'm striking it on the face of the club by keeping my head still and my body stationary and swinging my arms. I want to see if I can just make center face contact 15 or 20 times in a row. Can I put the same face on the back of the ball every single time? Most people don't hit the center of the face. They hit it on the toe, the heel and the center in, in, in different variables, and consequently, they can't even control the strike, so they can't control the distance, and then after I've got my center face contact, then I'll start to calibrate the size of my stroke and the pace of my stroke in, in terms of my arm swing, and I can kind of dial things in. You know, when I say to you, funny, you repeat, you know, you always you always kind of, you always chuckle, short game, short game, short game. How about putt, putt, putt? How about a lot of distance control putts? How about a lot of lag putting? How about a lot of fundamental contact qualities, and then calibrate the size and pace my stroke. I mean, you're you're so right. There's lag putting is, uh, is almost like a lost art, and you want to turn three into two on the greens. I see too many players at the club level walking off the 18th hole with four and five three putts, basically because they can't get that first putt close enough.
1: Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners once again how they can follow you, whether it's online on your website or on social media.
4: Uh, you know, Chris, all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, I'm, I'm on all of those. And then obviously my website is just very simply tompatry.com. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to get to me. Uh, my, my website has my email address and my cell phone on it. Uh, so it's easy to get to me. It's a, it's just a, a click on tompatry.com and all the information is there. Um, so if they're in, if they're in the Midwest somewhere, especially in Indiana, uh come on down and let's get together
1: Tom I can't thank you enough for continuing to be a part of the show it's always a great time when you are here I look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks my friend
4: Mr. Ray, it's it's always a pleasure to be on with you you're 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 my favorite listen, even when Kessler and and Trano go on for hours and hours um I just got to get back to sleep now <laughs> I I think I think I'm, I may, I may be shaking and shivering all night after those two but you're the best you, you I think you do a great job in the airwaves I think you're a great tribute to golf and I hope everybody out there has a great U.S. Open week.
1: Thank you very much, TP. Take care, my friend. We'll catch up again soon.
4: Thanks, pal. See you, Tom.
1: That's a great Tom Patry, P-A-T-R-I, tompatry.com and at Tom Patry on social media. You need help with your game? He's your guy. I've got my next guest, Chris Finn, hanging on the line. going to get to Chris on the other side of this real quick station break.
0: You're listening to Next on the T, available as a podcast on TuneIn and Podbean. Let's get back to Chris and more of the show.
1: And now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Chris Finn. Chris is the founder of Par4Success, and that is uh, the number four. So P-A-R, the number four, success.com. It's a great golf, fitness, and physical therapy company located in Cary, North Carolina, They've got a fantastic looking 6,000 square foot facility up there. They can help you with improving your golf performance. And if something's hurting while you're playing or while you're practicing the game, they can help alleviate that pain as well. Chris is a licensed physical therapist, a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He is Titleist Performance Institute certified, and he's also a certified nutrition coach. Uh, coach. He has grown par for success from being a physical therapy, therapy business that he re- literally did out of the back of his car, and he's grown that you know tremendously. It's a wonderful business. It's one that Goldman Sachs has as one of their 10,000 small businesses poised for growth, and I'm very excited. He is with me tonight here on Next on the Tea. Hey, Chris, thanks for being a part of the show.
5: Thanks for having me on, Chris. Really excited to to join you and, and chat with, and kind of hopefully help out a lot of your listeners. I hope so, too.
1: So, Chris, first of all, I want to start, you know, really a couple of years ago. I mean, par four success is exploding onto the golf and the fitness scene. And I want to get into that. So sort of take me back to as a guy who graduated from Babson College not all that long ago, you literally started the business out of the back of your car. and Now you've got a 6,000 square foot facility, a facility that it seems like, you know, from reading your story, you you have a facility, you outgrow that a year later, you, you get another one, you outgrow that a year later. And now you're into this facility. Talk about how that growth has happened.
5: Uh, well, it's been just, it's been an awesome ride. I think it's, you know, I think the reason I actually went out and started it on my own is, you know, obviously we're in Cary, we're only about an hour north of Pinehurst. It's a huge golf area here in the Triangle. And, you know, having a a love for the game of golf and, and loving kind of the sports physical therapy side of things and sport performance side of things. Um, you know, looking around, there really wasn't anybody doing it at a really high level uh, locally in our area. Um And, you know, when I went to the Tyler's Performance Institute, you know, my first certification back in the, I guess it was 2010, 2011, you know, it was still kind of relatively new. It wasn't really mainstream yet. Um And just saw a huge opportunity, you know, I've seen a lot of patients who were golfers and they were just like really bummed and sad because they were getting old. They weren't hitting it as far as they used to. And you know, I can tell you the number of people that were, you know, that I've talked to, you know, since then and, and on, but that have said, you know, you know I'm, I'm going to think of giving up the game. I'm thinking of, of just, you know, putting the clubs, you know, in the garage. It's just not enjoyable anymore because I got to hit three into every part four. You know, every time I play, I'm laid up on the couch for, you know, three days. <laughs> you know, I can't go on that golf trip with my buddies anymore. Just, it's, it's just, it hurts. It's not worth it. Um, so it was kind of a, and looking at the way that it was not being done, there was, I felt an opportunity to do it better. Um, and that's kind of what the driver for everything that we do at Barber Success is, uh, you know, we just, we believe that we can do things better. We believe we can help people rehab quicker and get back on the course better. We believe we can do a lot of, uh, you know, research into the actual golf fitness world and, and the techniques that are being used. And, you know, one of the big goals or reasons, you know, that reached out to you is, you know, we have done, you know, research for the last four or five years and over 700 golfers and we've got databases on, you know, what is an actual good club head speed for a 50 year old guy? Um, yeah, you know, there's, so it's, we've basically, our goal is just to give golfers the best possible information based on actual science and research that, you know, as a ther- physical therapist, that's kind of what you're, you're taught that <laughs> you practice based on evidence based practice. Um, and I think in the golf fitness world, we practice on Instagram based practice a lot of the times. So, um, so you know helping <laughs> Indeed. yeah so so kind of trying to give golfers a simple you know what's the minimal amount of work that you can do to produce a meaningful result that is actually backed by you know somebody's actually researched it with other people just like you
1: so chris to to the point you made a moment ago for for our listeners out there that are like me and, and we're in our 50s and you know maybe we've got an ache or a pain or we're trying to figure out how to do it a little differently or better. How do you, Talk about the data that you have and, and relating that swing speed into, hey, here's what you need to focus on in order to get better. Here's an exercise, a stretch, some of the things that you need to strengthen in order to get to the swing speed that you should have at that age.
5: Yeah, well, I think, you know, the first thing that I always look at, you know, if we talk kind of your average, you know, club golfer, um, you know, that's generally, let's say kind of 40 plus, you know, for most of them, you know, there's four main rotary centers that golfers have to simplify it. Basically, your hips have to be able to rotate. Your spine has to be able to rotate. Your shoulders have to be able to rotate and your neck has to be able to rotate. Um, and the interesting thing that we see with a lot of our data is that, um, you know, basically 50% of golfers will over the age of 50 will fail in at least two of those areas. Um, and if you fail in even one of those rotary centers, you have to introduce side to side or up and down movement in your golf swing. Um, so you know, you've had two great instructors on before me that know way more about the golf swing and how to help golfers perform better from a technical side stand of things. But they are gonna ha- they're gonna be forced to kind of help a golfer through comp- compensatory mechanisms to deliver the club repeatedly and consistently at a plane or a path that's gonna optimize their performance on the course. And so you know we know off of our data that right off the bat over 50% of <laughs> the chances are if somebody walks onto a tee and they're over the age of 40, they probably work at a desk job or you know, that 50% of them are going to fail at least two of those. Um, so there's really, you know, we t- everybody talks about club head speed and the equipment. Um, you know, Peter was talking about the equipment and the, the difference it's made. You know, I think he said like 30 or 40 yards difference and how much further it goes now. And that's, that's kind of the sexy talk, right? Is how fast you swing. Can you hit it 300? but none of that matters if you can't rotate. <laughs> you're just you're setting yourself up for injury. Um and honestly, most people with if they simply focus on improving those rotary centers, they'll swing faster just because all of a sudden they can move the way that's more efficient in the way that their golf instructors trying to get them to move.
1: So talk about that, Chris. You know, talk about some of the, you know, you've you've got a wonderful sort of six-step process to assess where we've got issues, and goodness knows I failed miserably on a couple of them. So talk about some of the things that you do to assess, like where in the body, okay, you need to fix this. Talk about how you you go about that assessment.
5: Yeah, so I think the first piece is, you know, I sent you that home assessment, you know, that we have on our on our website that basically that takes golfers through the the big four or six movements that they need to, to do, the four main rotary centers. Um, and then there's just some other movements that we like to see just for general athletic movement. Um, you know, the way I think about it as a golfer, I think of it as a pie in four different slices. I think the, the top two slices are that you can improve technically and you can improve your equipment. And if you, you know, those are two things that are done outside of the walls of my facility. Um, where our expertise is and where I can help golfers, um, or any golf fitness professional or medical professional. Is we can I think the third piece of the pie is mobility, which we which just talked about in terms of that you have to be able to rotate in one of, in all of those four centers, or you're gonna introduce sway or slide or early extension or you're gonna cast it or you know, chicken wing whatever it may be. Um, the the fourth part and that's this is the part that everybody wants to talk about and that's power. Uh, and power is a very simple math equation of how much force can you produce and how fast can you move it. Um, and unfortunately, as we get older as golfers, you tend to turn from, <laughs> your muscles tend to turn from prime rib to more like beef jerky every year. So you lose that elasticity, you lose that ability to become, you know, to be as explosive as you were when you were 20. Um, and so that's where the next thing we look at is, you know, we say, okay, how how fast are you swinging it? And this is, you know, our database, which is available for free to any golfer who wants to go to the, our website and download it. But, you know, so you can see, you know, let's say, If we use the 50 to 59 year old age bracket, if a guy's swinging 100 miles an hour, they're an average 50 to 59 year old. That's the 50th percentile, um, for 50 to 59 years. So if they're swinging 50%, and then we've done through our other research, looking at, uh, there's three main power tests. So we'll have the golfers go through those power tests. And if in those three tests, let's say they're all, they're, they're performing in the 90th percentile. So they can create a lot of power athletically. But we look at their club, their club head speed and their club head speed lagging because that's only 50th percentile. That's a golfer that I know already has the horsepower in their body as is right there and then today <laughs> to produce more club head speed. And it's either that we need to get their nervous system to just let them, you know, let it out. And you know, that's where you hear about the a lot of the overspeed or speed training devices. That's going to help those individuals, assuming that they've passed the mobility, that they haven't passed the mobility and they go right to the speed devices. That's where we get calls of dislocated shoulders and hurt backs and all this other stuff. Um, but, you know, the golfer who passes the mobility, who has way more power than what they're demonstrating in their club head speed, that's somebody who they're going to get better really, really quickly and probably going to get more out of, you know, seeing a golf instructor optimizing their equipment. If you have the flip of that, you say you have somebody who club head speed is, you know, we'll use that same group, 50 to 59. They're swinging 109 miles an hour. They're in the 90th percentile for that age group. But then if we see their power markers are all in the 25th and 50th percentile and they failed three of the rotary tests, that is a ticking time bomb waiting to happen. <laughs> so that's somebody where the first most important is we've got to get them rotating so they, the lack the chances of them hurting themselves are decreased. And then from there, then you're looking at, you know, through a golf fitness program, trying to improve their ability to create vertical force, horizontal force, rotational force. Um, you know, if we get into all the kinetics in terms of ground ground reaction forces, Um you know, then that's how that program changes. But I, I just think it's really silly and dangerous for a lot of people in the golf fitness world who you go into the gym and you just pick what you did out of Golf Digest. There's no assessing. And I think that's the biggest crime that we have in our industry right now is there's a huge lack of assessment. And we just guess. We go with what we saw a DJ doing on Instagram or, you know, on um, Twitter or whatever it may be, what the latest Golf Digest cover may be, oh, they're doing that, so that means I should do that Um, without realizing that, you know, their their dispersion between how fast they swing on average compared to the average golfers, you know, at least 10% higher. (laughs) So you're comparing apples to oranges, but yet we're trying to, you know, we're trying to fix our average golfer with, you know, orange, who are apples with orange fixes. Uh, and it's just silly. And it's <laughs> and golfers are wasting a lot of time and, and getting hurt and losing years that they could be playing and enjoying the game.
1: Yeah. And to just uh, to take that a step further, Chris, because I think one of the things that I read on your website is with too many of us are doing exercises and we don't really know why. Right? We don't. Mm-hmm. To your point, we, we saw it in Golf Digest. We saw it on a YouTube video. We saw it on a special you know, that week on the tour but we're doing an exercise and we don't know what the outcome of doing that exercise is. What's the benefit? Why am I doing it? I don't know. I saw it somewhere. So talk about, you know, making sure that we are doing exercises that are made for us and whatever, you know, where we have a weakness in our strength and our mobility. How do we recognize that?
5: So I think the best way I can do this, I'll use a kind of a case. One of our members, uh, we've worked, he's been with us for about six years now. He's 72. I think he's in the midst of a 12 day golf trip right now. <laughs> um, but he started when he was 66. And so he came in and we did the same test that I just talked about. We took him through the mobility test, the power test. We saw where his club head speed was. I think when he came in, he was swinging maybe, you know, mid eighties, kind of 84, 85 miles an hour. So the first thing that we did with him was, you know, he hadn't been working out. He's been kind of a C level executive, sitting traveling a bunch, sits, sits at a desk. Um, and he failed all four of the rotary tests. So, Step one is going to be, you know, for every golfer, do you pass those mobility tests? So for him, a lot of his exercise in the beginning were geared around improving the quality of the tissue. His was very much like beef jerky. And so we helping with a lot of soft tissue work, manual work, giving him a lot of stuff to do on his own to get that tissue more. You know, it's not going to turn into prime rib, but, you know, at least somewhat more elastic. Um, and then as he started, you know, being able to rotate more, all of a sudden you started seeing, you know, a, his pain went away. But then B, you started seeing his speed creep up. And then and then so the next thing we say, okay, now that he's actually rotating, now it's safe to give him more horsepower. So if you do pass all those rotary tests, you have the ability to get from point A to B, then you've kind of earned the right from a, a fitness and performance standpoint. You need to build strength because as you get older, you naturally are going to lose it. And you know, the average golfer, you know, decade to decade loses, you know, 10 yards at least. So if you can even just maintain among your peers, you're going to be gaining. So I think that's where then, you know, we looked at with him and we and his ability to create vertical force, which we measure with vertical jump, was, was just horrid. Um So we worked a lot of leg strengthening, obviously core strength in terms of the ability to transfer power up from the legs as those got stronger was important. And then we as we started to see those power numbers increase, again, we started to see, we continued to see his uh club head speed go up. And so and I think it's important for golfers that you go for, your, a lot of people go for the initial assessment, they get the program and then they're off. Like the key is you need to reassess at least, you know, three times a year, you know, you figure ideally quarterly, but at least two to three times a year because you're going to have changes that occur as you play a lot, as you age, just things happen in life. And so by continually reassessing him, you know, he's gone up from, he started at 84, six years ago. He just hit his personal best. I think last month he swung 99.8 miles an hour and that's his average wow. swing speed Um at 72 Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's just by continually reassessing, adjusting what he's doing and, you know, and, and making it that it's doable. You know, everybody doesn't need to be in the gym for six days a week and, you know, 10 hours a day. Um, and we've got people that we work with. They do it three days a week for 30 minutes and as long as it as long as you know what you're going for you can be really targeted and do it in a way that's actually useful for people and I think that's the key is if you assess it you know what you need to do it and it can be done in a manner that fits into 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 daily life which is so busy for everybody
1: Chris before I let you go now that you've with the imagination of our listeners how can they find out more information be a part of what you guys are doing and uh, whether that's you know getting online Reaching out to you to to come out to do an assessment and then also follow
5: you on social media as well. Yeah, I think for so for social, I mean it's just at par for success. I think mean, like you said, P A R, the number four success. Um, what I did actually do for all the listeners, I set up a personal page just for all your listeners, Chris, um, that they can get the home assessment for free. Um, normally we charge ten dollars for it, but I set it up for them for free. It's just parforsuccess.com/slash-next. Um so if anybody listening wants to go there, um basically just tell us where to send it. Uh, we'll send you basically the home assessment like you seen it, said or like you saw it has kind of those rotary tests. Uh and then we'll send them they let us know, you know, how they did on them and we'll send them some free fixes to kind of start addressing those issues. Um so you know, anyone wow. on all the major social. Um but what I wanted to do just as a thanks for having me on and, and just to help us our, our goal and our mission is to help as many the average golfers add years to how long they can play. And like I said, that first part of that everybody needs to start at is answer the question, can I actually rotate? And then if you can answer that question, then, you know, then, then you can continue the conversation. Um, so parforsuccess.com slash next, that's set up for all of your listeners to go to for free. Um, and like, and we can start a conversation there and we do free discovery visits and calls. So we're happy to talk with anybody. We work with golfers. We're in, the, we're in eight or nine countries at this point virtually. Um, so, you know. The, Anyone give us a call, happy to talk about your situation, um, even if it's not working with us. I think our mission is to get you with somebody near you uh, who can help you. So, Well,
1: I really appreciate that, Chris. That's outstanding stuff. And again, it's par for the number four, success.com forward slash next. So, Chris, thank you so much for doing that. And uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. I hope uh, you'll come back again soon and keep us updated with all the great things you're doing because it's been fantastic having you here tonight.
5: Definitely will. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Love the show.
1: I appreciate you. Take care, Chris. All the best to you and your family. You too. That is Chris Finn. Again, it's par4success.com. The number four, success.com. Put a forward slash next on there and you're going to get the uh, opportunity to get a free assessment, see what you're doing and uh, get some opportunities to... Make your game a little bit better. Maybe make it a little bit less painful, right? If you've got some aches and pains, maybe you get some get some work in there with the, some of the things that uh, Chris's and the, their assessment does to help you loosen that area up, get a little more distance, get a little more comfort, get a little more fun out of playing the game of golf. So uh, check that out and let me know what uh, what you think. Uh, I'm telling you, I've got – it's certainly something I'm going to incorporate into my daily routine because I'll tell you what. I the I, six assessments and I failed a couple of them pretty, pretty badly. So I've got to get uh, some better range of motion in what I'm doing. So let me know what, uh, what's happening for you. I think that's fantastic of Chris to do that. So looking forward to hearing a lot more about it. And having Chris back on the show again soon. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this edition of next on the T My sincere thanks go out to Peter Kessler. Rob Strano, Tom Patrick, and Chris Finn for joining me tonight. Uh, please check out our website, next on net. We've got our guest schedule up there for you, so you'll be able to fi- figure out who's going to be joining us on the show. And if you've got a question that you want to get on the show for one of them, please let me know. I'll be glad to do it. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, please check us out on launchpaddm.com and click on the subscribe button. That uh, is very important to us. We would really appreciate your support there. You can also stream the show on great sites like Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, AudioBoomPlayer.fm, as well. And, uh, folks, we really can't thank you enough for being you know, a part of the show and continuing to make us a part of your golfing content. It really means a great deal to us. We're honored that you're doing it. So uh, we look forward to catching up with everybody again next week. And until then, hit them straight, my friends.
0: It's all about the great game of